Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, hey, Waffle Gang, I do hope you're well. My name is Mark, and today we're checking out some more relationship stories. And if you do love a Reddit story, why not consider hitting that like, subscribe, maybe that notification bell too. Let's crack on with today's first story. Now, this story comes from You Suck Eb, who says, I keep receiving texts that my boyfriend is cheating on me. My boyfriend, 29, and I, 23, have been dating two years and we live together. In the early stages of our relationship, he carried out an eight month long emotional affair with a past lover. We took time apart and he came to understand that emotional cheating is very much a real thing and very much cheating. He accepts his faults and worked hard on being a better man. It has been forever since and everything between us has been great. We were both recently laid off two months ago so we spent all our time together. Aside small errands, he's literally with me 24-7 as we work on goals together and getting jobs again. We were focusing in on us and really working towards that. On New Year's Eve at 4am, I received a detailed text about how my boyfriend was cheating for the previous three weeks, listing specifics about his genitals. I am very secretive about my number. Only 20 people have it and none of them are mutual between my boyfriend and I. I don't list my number on social media, so of course my heart sank. I woke him up and confronted him. He spent the next week pulling up phone records, bank statements, and emails to prove he wasn't straying and where he was every time he was away from me. During those three weeks, we were rarely apart and even spent a week out of state for Christmas. I have open access to everything and regularly check his phone. He consents. I've seen nothing offside and All of his texts and phone calls were recorded. No unknown numbers were listed. He doesn't own a second phone or a work number. I eventually decided to let it go as he spent all his time proving his innocence and we were around each other too much for him to have have time to be straying. This past occurrence made me feel sketchy but I do trust him now and felt this could have been a sabotage. Now tonight I received another message again from an anonymous number. It said they saw my boyfriend recently. He came over to yell at them and tell them they had no right to tell me. They said this was last weekend. The only day he's been away from me all day since I got the first text. Again, I confronted him and he pulled up records. The timelines and history with us makes me feel like I'm not seeing this objectively. I don't want to end things with him over a past mistake and a red herring. I also don't want to be naive and continue a relationship with a cheater. Now we see a lot of cheating stories on here so clearly it could be cheating it could not be cheating but the reddit in me is saying that you know the, the po- a possible ex who's getting involved the one where he was having an emotional affair with is she trying to get back at him now trying to break him up so she can get back with him i don't know there's just so many different paths you could go down with this particular one without more information which you know you're struggling to get yourself at the moment it does seem like boyfriend is being pretty open with the situation but again there could be another phone involved oh, i've been watching too much breaking bad check the tank in the toilet <laughs> i don't know 
But I guess from OP's point of view, the trust was already broken once. And that's, I, I, I always say that's going to be like a long process to fix something like that, to gain that trust back from someone who's betrayed it once. I mean, fair play for OP to give it a go. But if it, I was in that situation, I don't think I'd be able to look at the person the same way again. And that's the way I approach a lot of them. Again, I'm not saying that's the right mindset, but it's, uh, certainly in my head, I would always be thinking about what's he doing now? Can I trust him? Which isn't a healthy way to run a relationship, is it? But I think until you find out the truth about what's going on here, I mean, sitting down, have an honest conversation about what's happening. What does he think's happening? And potentially try to find out where these calls are coming from. It's going to be difficult to move forward. But a couple of comments says, Dinosaur Train says, I changed my mind on how to handle this. Reverse this thing. Tell him not to talk until you are finished. Sit him down and let him know that this whole thing is making you crazy and stressing your sanity. Let him know that you are giving him an amnesty 60 seconds to come clean if he cheated. If he agrees that he did, you agree to work it out like before because you love him. Really truly act like you could do this. Then, if he admits cheating, fuck that and leave. The amnesty bullshit was just to smoke out the weasel. Nothing is lost by going on this path because he may admit it and that's more than you have now. You may have been able to act like you have some real proof. Lead with that. Like, I know the truth, I just need you to admit it so we can heal. Corgi Roll says, do you know if he had any vengeful exes? Okay, you checked his phone. You checked his mail. What about his Facebook or other social media? If you look at the records and can't find anything, that he's not cheating or he's been too smart about erasing all the evidence. Secret Code says, a text sent from an anonymous, untraceable source which trots out Wienerfax? I've never heard. Is it Wienerfax? <laughs> I just googled it. It is. Instead of trying to break devastating news to you gently, it's a text that was sent with purely malicious intent. Is your boyfriend cheating? Who knows? Regardless of how many people are eyeing his junk at this very moment, it's safe to say you're not the only person who has ever seen his genitals. This certainly could be a malicious ex or an unstable, cruel friend, or he could be boning someone on the side who's now trying to break you up. There's just not enough info to know for sure. What you do know is that one of those other people, whether they examined his naughty bits yesterday or 12 years ago, has decided to do everything in their power to hurt you. And by extension, him. If he is having an affair, he's cheating on you with someone toxic and juvenile, and they're both savvy enough to cover their tracks, but his alibi seems pretty solid. Right now, I'd focus on the fact that you are both being harassed by an anonymous person who obviously has malicious intent. Tell your boyfriend that you trust him more than some random text message. Quit letting him respond to this by digging through phone records and bank statements like this is an IRS audit. Instead, sit down and try to work out a strategy together to figure out who the hell might want to hurt the two of you so bad and how you can block them. Once he stops being defensive and you ask him to come to your defense, you may get another kind of answer. And one more from Red Velvet Cupcake who says, Oh girl, I feel for you. I hope this is someone who is just trying to sabotage a happy relationship. He managed to move past a previous fidelity transgression and it seems like he's been great since then. However, good liars that want to lie, lie very well. My aunt's ex was able to hide his infidelity from her for 20 plus years and he didn't need social media or apps to do that. It is crazy making. You have to commit to any decision that you make. If you believe him, you have to commit to that forgiveness and really let it go. Resentment isn't good in any relationship and he has been open about his documents with you. So you didn't see anything amiss. 
If you want to investigate for your own peace of mind, then do this as well. Start with the suggestions other posters have made and stay level-headed, especially when it's at times where being level-headed is toughest. So we do have a couple of updates to this post. So the first one comes in 23 female, 29 male, two years. A lot of people wanted an update, so here goes. I started asking more questions and he didn't seem very fond. He'd be defensive right away and almost seem upset with me for asking. I knew something wasn't right. Upon inspecting his phone records, I found out that back in October, he contacted the ex he cheated with. The text was short, but he had agreed 100% no contact ever. I eventually had to message her and ask for screen caps of their conversation, which was incredibly awkward as I've never talked to her before. The conversation was innocent, but he never told me about it and deleted it off his phone. This alone felt like a deal breaker. During the time we were broken up, he swore up and down that he was never with anyone. I said I didn't care, I just needed to know for hell's sake. Well, lo and behold, we both got HPV and I started to question him more and more. And instead of being honest about something I didn't give a shit about, he lied and lied some more. First, he just hung out with her a few times. Then it was just making out. Then it was just heavy petting. Then just handjobs. Then just oral. Then just saw went inside, but it didn't work. Bullshit. And he's been trickle-truthing the hell out of me for months. So now I have an STD. He still claims up and down he has no idea about the text. But if he can't be honest about fucking someone when we're broken up, I doubt he's being honest now. I asked all my friends and family, even called my sister's friends. Then he got a message on his phone too. We literally don't have anyone who knows both of our numbers. Not even my family. I knew then that the chances of someone having both of our numbers was too low for it to be some random ex or a friend. He also doesn't update social media about his whereabouts. I told him it's weird he never went out of his way to find out who this is. He seemed defensive. I've decided to let it go and move back home. The idea of him sleeping with someone else really hurts, but he's probably already doing that anyways. I don't have solid proof, but I think this is good enough. For everyone who wanted to see the text, message me as it's against the rules to post. So then OP comes in with a final update, which says final update. A lot of people kept tabs with me after to know if I ever found out. Well, yesterday morning, I did. An old friend of mine was sending the text as a sabotage. I had a feeling, given that he didn't seem too concerned when the text started escalating and becoming violent. Ex-boyfriend and I ended up receiving about 10 total. He's always the first person to be dramatic slash overly worried about me, so it struck me as out of character. I finally confronted him yesterday morning after thinking about the text had them saved as police evidence, so I was reading over them again. I recognized similar dictions. He first denied, but I pushed and he confessed. This friend has been heavily involved in my family for a while now, so he was able to know certain information about myself and my boyfriend through those connections. He said he wanted my boyfriend out the picture, didn't approve of the guy and wanted a shot. My boyfriend wasn't perfect, but he certainly didn't deserve this. Neither of us did. I asked him to clear my boyfriend's name with my family by coming forward. He did, and I will be now asking him to remove himself from my life. I spent the last 12 hours trying to make this up to my ex. I apologize for not believing him. He really did work to gain my trust back. No more fun bro nights, all open access, giving me updates, taking photos of where he was. I still think we both handled the situation poorly though, and that reflects on 
how much foundation we have. We didn't jump to prove innocence. I had to offer suggestions, but I wasn't exactly receptive to giving him the benefit of the doubt, given he cheated before. I don't know if we have a future, but I do appreciate that he wasn't cheating on me. Thanks to everyone who followed. Now, I'm going to turn this one to you guys. What do you guys make of this situation? Do you think there's ever a chance they can rebuild this relationship again? Or do you think that's it now? Let us know your thoughts down in the comments below. Let's move on to another story. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. And our next story is a bit of a different one that came through my own website, mark-narrations.com, which which shares the podcast version of everything. And it was, it's basically their journey through grief. And they discovered it on the back of, on another story that we covered recently. So I'd like to share that. And if it's one that's not for you, then feel free to skip it. So my 41 female journey through grief so far. I recently listened to the story about the grandfather who loved Christmas. He was coming to the end of his life and his grandson wanted to give him one last special day, so he did, Christmas in July. The grandson's girlfriend was not impressed and did not understand. Then you gave a talk about your dad and grief. It got me thinking about my mum who passed very suddenly, just over three years ago, and I wanted to share my story of grief with you. So here goes. So, my story begins, as I've said, just over three years ago, January 2019 to be precise. My mum has been struggling with lower back pain for the past five or so months and the pain was gradually getting worse. Now, my mum was always a very fit and healthy woman who looked after her health, so this was unusual for her. But she also did not tolerate pain well and so me, my dad and brother were not overly concerned. Oh, how I regret this now. She had seen the doctor about it a few times and they had done blood tests and found nothing. They put it down to a virus that was taking its time to go. There is still a part of me that is so angry with them for not investigating further. Eventually, just after Christmas, my dad came home to find my mum rolling around on the living room floor in sheer agony. He took us straight to the hospital. He had phoned to tell me they were going. I was at work but had insisted to keep me posted throughout the day. By the afternoon, I still not had any news, so I texted him to see how things were going. I got a reply saying that the hospital had discovered that the doctors had discovered that my mum's liver wasn't functioning properly and they needed to do more tests. They had sent her for a scan. After hours more waiting, I eventually got a text from my mum to say they were coming to my house to speak to my husband and I. I had that sinking feeling in my stomach. 
The one you get when you know something bad is coming. But I still had no idea just how bad. I guess I have far too much faith in modern medicine. Or I just thought that these things didn't happen to ordinary people like me. Oh, how wrong could I be? My husband and I sat and waited in our living room. My husband had only just recently lost his parents, so I guess we were both convinced that that lightning could not strike twice. And like I said before, my mum was so fit and healthy. She was only 65. At last, my parents arrived. My mum sat down on the couch opposite us and my dad sat on the arm next to her. He looked ashen. I pushed them. So what did they say? What is it? My dad hung his head and looked like he was struggling not to cry. My mum, however, looked very matter-of-fact, very composed and in control. I remember she said, it's not good news, it's really not good news. The room was beginning to spin a little for me and I felt slightly sick, but still, I was not expecting what came next. She said, they found a mass in my pancreas. It's pushing on my spine and that's what's causing the pain. She said, a mass? You mean like cancer? My mum nodded. What are they going to do? I asked, trying to control my panic, mirroring my mum. There is nothing they can do, she replied, still holding her composure. My dad at this stage crumbled and my husband was not far off either. My mum continued to explain calmly that the cancer had spread to her liver and there was nothing that could be done. They had referred to the cancer as life-limiting. They had told her that she had 8-12 to 12 months to live with end-of-life care. As my brain was trying to compute this and make sense of the strange words that sounded around me, my mum simply said, Don't be sad. I've had a good life. I had nothing. I shut down. I was completely numb, dumbfounded. The words would not sink into my brain, while my dad and my husband sobbed and my mum tried to comfort them. I had nothing. I just sat there, completely stunned. I don't remember much of the conversation after that. I just remember my mum saying that my brother still didn't know and that they were going to go round his house next to break the news to him and his wife. As soon as they left, I got up to make a cup of coffee and suddenly the tears started to roll. I couldn't feel anything emotionally, but I couldn't stop them. From that point, the world kind of stood still for me. I was frozen in that terrible moment, wishing I could escape. But there was no escaping this. We were just at the beginning and, and we were going to have to wade through a whole pile of shit still to come. My mum's words just kept replaying in my head. They still do even to this day. I've had a good life. Fast forward a few weeks and my mum had gone downhill faster than expected. The pain had gotten much worse and the cancer was spreading fast. It was becoming clear my mum would not make 8-12 to 12 months and she knew it better than any of us. While we all continued to deny the obvious, she remained stoic and pragmatic. This was my mum all over. I wish I could have found out more about how she was feeling. Was she scared? Was she sad? Was she angry? What? I knew I needed to bring up a discussion about what she wanted for a funeral, but I just couldn't bring myself to do it. The denial was too strong. One of my many regrets. She asked me how I felt about the situation and all I could manage was, it's strange. She nodded in agreement and we just stared out into the garden. As the days dragged on, my mum slept more and more. Whether it was the morphine or the cancer, her brain was starting to function erratically. She needed my dad's help to feed herself as she had forgotten to use a knife and fork. She was finding it hard to focus her vision and hold a normal conversation. She seemed distant and uninterested in life. I could see her giving up, giving into the cancer. 
She did not want to fight it anymore. She just wanted the pain to end. By the fourth week after diagnosis, my mum went into a hospice in order for them to try and adjust her morphine, a morphine dose to try and control the pain better. I remember visiting her there with my dad. She insisted she would not be coming out. My dad and I insisted she would. I remember kissing her on the cheek and saying, I'll see you tomorrow, mum, and don't worry, we'll get you out of here. She smiled and nodded back at me knowingly and then I left, convinced that what I said was true. The next day at around lunchtime, my dad rang to say he was at the hospice with my mum and that she wanted us all to go see her ASAP. I explained the situation to my boss who let me go straight away. My husband was close to the hospice and was already on his way there and my brother and his wife were also on the way. I arrived to find my husband and dad in a sort of a daze outside my mum's room. I asked them what was going on. My husband said he didn't really know, but that my mum had just suddenly collapsed in the bed whilst talking to them. The nurses had been called and were with her now. I stood with my dad and husband and waited, bemused and still full of denial. Then the nurses appeared and ushered us into the room where my mum was now lying, flat on her back, eyes wide open, staring at the ceiling completely blank and unseeing. She was still, apart from her breathing, which was slow, stilted and raspy. I automatically sat down beside her on the bed and took her hand. I told her what a great mother, grandmother, teacher and friend she had been and how proud I was of her. I told her I loved her, I told her she could let go and she did. And with one final rasping breath she passed. I remember a tear rolling from her left eye as she expelled that final breath and I prayed it was not a tear of sadness. Someone later told me that the tear represents healing and that my mum's pain was over. I hope so. Those last few moments with my mum are burned into my memory. She was so still and so lifeless. She didn't look like my mum anymore. It was the most awful moment of my life. The hardest thing I've ever had to watch. But I wouldn't change it for the world. I'm glad I was there. I was glad I got the chance to tell her how I felt and support her on her journey out of this world. It felt devastating, but at the same time, right. I have to admit that moment traumatized me for many years. It still does at times. But to have not been there when my mum needed me the most would have only traumatized me more. Over the course of the next six months, after my mum's passing, life took on a new perspective for me. I remained numb to it all, but I took on a new appreciation for life. I realized these things can happen to anyone and you never know when they are going to come. Enjoy each day at a time, as they say, and never take family and loved ones for granted. They will not be here forever. None of us will. There were many strange things that happened after my mum's passing that let my dad and I know she was still around, still with us. The day after my son awoke and suddenly started drawing pages and pages of bright, colourful butterflies. Again, a sign of healing, I have been told. He was obsessed with them for months afterwards and they had become a symbol of remembrance for my mum. My dad woke up one morning to pictures on the wall above my mum's beloved piano, all tilted and out of place. When my dad contracted sepsis, my mum's alarm clock in her study started ringing and alerted me to wake him up and get him to the doctors. A deer darting across my path while walking in daylight through a housing estate. Waking up to an orb of light floating above my head one night and in bed before seeing it shoot off through the wall and disappearing. One lunch break, my husband found himself with a sudden impulse to walk down a street he had never taken where he came face to face with a canvas in a shop window covered in a beautiful blue painted butterflies. He bought the picture. 
With a sheer coincidence, wishful thinking or the real deal, I'll let you decide. But they happened and they helped me heal in knowledge that my mum was still around. It brought me great comfort. Just over three years on and it still seems strange that my mum is not around. But I think at least part of my brain has accepted things. For me, I don't think it will ever feel completely real and it certainly does not feel far. It is what it is now and that's where I am in my grief journey. I wish I had more time with my mum. I wish I had been kinder to her. I wish I had appreciated her more. I wish the doctors could have saved her. But from this terrible tragedy, I did learn and grow as a person. Perhaps the cancer in my mum's passing was never about her. Perhaps it is about those of us left and the lessons that we could learn from it. Perhaps. And that is my story of grief so far. I say so far because I don't think I will ever stop grieving for my mum. But grief for me is like a living thing. It changes and shifts. It lies dormant and then suddenly surfaces again. It brings hope and insight as well as pain and tears. It is part of me now and it has and will hold many lessons for me, I'm sure. And that's a beautiful story in many ways. Painful, but beautiful in some ways as well. And as always, there's many things I could relate to in this particular story. Talking about attempting to talk about funerals with parents. I remember trying to do that with my dad. I did do it because, you know, it was important to talk about. But, you know, psyching yourself up all day to go and say this. I want to talk to my dad about the funeral. I'm going to do it. Then you get there and you see him sort of just deflated, defeated and you can't bring yourself to do it. It's incredibly hard. And throughout my dad's journey with cancer, if you like, he was incredibly positive for the most of it. But I remember that day when I walked into his room and can see he had enough. That was enough. And my niece was there at the same time. And she asked him, she said, you've had enough, haven't you? And he just sort of nodded. And that was probably, and that was probably the most painful moment. Knowing that, you know, there's no way back. They got no quality of life. And they just want it to end, yet yet they still have to endure the pain until eventually it comes. And it took months. But like this post says, grief is a journey, one, that's painful, but... And it's a long journey full of so many different emotions, you know, happiness and sadness, bursting out into tears. Been through all those, but as I always say, we all grieve in different ways. But as long as you do it in a healthy way, you do it the way that you need to do it. My always go-to example is when I'm driving down the road and I hear a song come on or like the Carpenters or something like that and it just makes me burst into tears like ugly cry. I'm still safe at driving by the way but I always think from like a person driving the opposite lane towards me and just seeing my face <laughs> ugly crying at them <laughs> does make me chuckle. But what do you guys make of this one? I hope that story does relate to you and maybe even help you in some ways. Let me know your thoughts down in the comments below and just a huge thank you for spending your time with me today and hopefully we'll see you in the next one. Take care and much love. I can smell the smoke from the bacon. Let's go. See the sun shining from the windows. Okay. I know that today will be a good day. Okay. I know that today will be a good day. A, B, C. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 